All right. Well, good morning. Welcome to Veritas. I'm Mark, one of the pastors, and I have uh, the privilege of opening God's Word. So if you have a Bible, open to James 4. And as we're getting started, I just have to tell you, this sermon was a struggle. It's two verses, so it's short. It wasn't hard in that, like, oh, there's a ton of study in this. But I got to elder meeting on Thursday morning, and I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know how to preach this. And I'll tell you why it was such a struggle for me until about 3.30 in the afternoon on Thursday. That story's coming. But we're going we're gonna to read this passage. In the context, as we read, as last week Jeff talked about James's words to humble ourselves before the Lord. And it's this picture of what would this life of humility look like lived out among us? Like what if we as a church lived out humility into our everyday lives? What would that look like? James 4 tells us, James 4, 11 and 12. This is God's word. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So this is a picture of what pride looks like. Now pride's a hard sin to pin down, isn't it? Like you can tell someone's proud or you can say, oh, I just, there's something coming off that person. It's arrogance, it's pride, but it's hard to yeah, I have this objective picture of what it looks like. But James gives us a way that we can spot pride from a mile away. Or you can actually not spot it from a mile away. You can hear it. You can hear pride. And here's what it sounds like. Criticizing, defaming, judging. The word he uses is to speak evil against someone. So this idea of bad-mouthing mean-spirited, damaging statements against a brother or sister. That's what pride sounds like or looks like. So he, in verse 4, has talked about you adulterous people. And then he talks about pride. But then he turns to us in, in, here in verse 11 and he says, hey, brothers and sisters. So he changes his tone here. It's like he's saying, hey, Veritas, do you realize what we are? We're not the adulterous people out there in the world. We're the people of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's what life in the body of Christ should look like. So this is for us. Do we realize who we are? We're, we're the people of God. We're not the kind of people who are ripping apart each other with cruel slander. But we are a family. So he talks about this idea of uh, slander, criticizing, speaking evil against. So what is so evil about slander? Well, he says here, the person who criticizes, slanders, defames, they are judging the law. That's what's so evil about slander, is you, when you slander, you're judging the law. Now, I've said some hurtful things against someone behind their back. That's happened before in my life. And I don't think of it as... Like, it's, it's not good, but how am I judging the law when I'm doing that? Well, he says, 
if you judge the law, and this is kind of where we're going to talk about three ways that we are acting as lawgivers and judges. Number one, he says, if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but you're a judge of the law. So he's contrasting doing the law or obeying the law versus judging it. So either I'm, when I'm obeying it, I'm living under the law. Like here's God's law and here's me under it. But when I'm slandering, I'm living over the law and looking down on it, judging it. So the first point is this. You're acting as lawgiver and judge if, one, you ignore the law. Imagine um, you're driving by a speed limit sign. You're in a residential area, and there's 25 miles an hour, and you just blow by it. Like, boom. Going 50 miles an hour by the speed limit sign in a neighborhood. uh, And you're like, yeah, that doesn't apply to me. I think they got that one wrong. So that's what James is saying we do. I'm essentially judging that speed limit sign and I'm saying, no, they got it wrong. I don't have to obey that. Now, what is the law that James is saying we as Christians are blowing by when we slander people? In chapter 2, verse 8, he has said, he's already told us. He said, indeed, you f- if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. And that's in the context of favoritism. So he's saying the law tells us to love our neighbor as ourself. And then here in this passage in verse 12, chapter 4, verse 12, he brings in this idea again of neighbor, your neighbor, your neighbor, your neighbor. So uh, we all know what law he's referring to, right? Because you probably just were reading it this week in your quiet time. Leviticus 19, 15, of course, right? You just already knew that. Uh, Well, here's what that says. This was a well-known Old Testament passage, Leviticus 19.15. Do not act unjustly when deciding a case. Do not be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. You see, that's where he got the favoritism stuff in chapter 2. He says, judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not jeopardize your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly and you will not incur guilt because of him. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. As I was preparing this sermon throughout the week, I was having a major wrestling match with James 4. This passage was, was heavy upon me, and I came to the elder meeting on Thursday mornings, on Thursday morning, and I just said, guys, I don't know how to preach this text because I don't know if I understand what slander is, what criticizing and defaming is. I don't know if I know what that is. And they went around and shared, had some great insights. I think it's, it's kind of this question of like, well, what's so hard about that? Like, this is not a hard thing to understand, Mark. What's so difficult? And I realized throughout the day as I was studying this, praying about it, preparing it, I don't want to call what I'm doing slander. That's why this is a hard passage for me to preach. Because I was going to stand up here and preach to you like, you all need to work on this slander thing. But what I do is not slander. And my wife called me out on this. She's like, Mark, you know how you slander? You say stuff like, I'm just a truth speaker. 
Do we have any truth speakers out there? Do we have any people that are like, facts don't care about feelings? I just tell it like it is. <laughs> any fact people, fact checkers out there? Just truth speakers? Do we have any? I've pulled this card out all the time after some slander. Hey, I'm just a verbal processor. Do we have any verbal processors? Any of you guys pulled the verbal processor card, which justifies anything you say? All right, I just need to get this out. I've got these thoughts. Just need to tell you all the things that are terrible about all these other people. Wow. That's how I justify criticizing. And at 3.30 in the afternoon on Thursday, I read Leviticus 19. And it's like this wall in my soul that was building up the dam of like, I don't slander. No, the stuff that I do is justified and things that I say is justified. And the things I've been saying about all these other people, no, it's, it's truth speaking. And I read Leviticus 19 and the dam just broke in my soul. Don't spread slander. I am the Lord. Don't harbor hatred or bear a grudge. I am the Lord. And I felt like I had been saying, no, I will slander this person. I am Mark. I will say these things about this person. I am Mark. Blown by the Leviticus 19, like, hey, Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And I just wonder this morning if any of you have a grudge against somebody. And you love to talk about it. When their name comes up, you've got a lot to say. And you can't, but can you believe what this person has done? And you, it might have been yesterday it might have been a couple decades ago. But when somebody, that part of you gets poked, it just, you just gush out with criticism, mean-spirited, damaging statements against another person. You have a choice to make. This morning. It's the same choice that I had to make. Now, just be thankful that you don't have to stand up in front of a thousand people <laughs> and be accountable to, to it. But that's part of why I'm telling you my own struggle with this because I want to change. And I know you do as well. And you really have a choice to make this morning. You can blow by James 4. And stand over the law as a judge. Or you can get on your knees and put yourself under the full weight of James 4, of God's word. And hear him say to you, do not spread slander. I am the Lord. Don't harbor hatred or bear grudge. I am the Lord. The first way we act as judges if we disregard or disobey the law, ignore it. The second way, in chapter 4, verse 6, as I said, the context is 
James has told us, but God gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, the whole context of this is humility, what it looks like to live in humility or what it looks like to live in pride. And and James is telling us that God's job is to humble people. God is good at that. God is competent at his job of exalting the humble and humbling the proud. But here's the second point. You're acting as lawgiver and judge if you take on the task of humbling people. You look at someone and you're like, eh, they're riding a little high on their horse. God needs my help to knock them down a few notches. We all do this, but here's the question. Why do we feel the need to do this? Why? Do you know why? Because it makes me feel so righteous and justified when I can talk about how greedy or immoral or worldly or immodest or you name it, other people are. I feel better about myself. If I can bring you down, that means I'm more righteous. And I become a judge of the law. So we all do this and we see how we do this. The poor judge the rich. The rich judge the poor. The left judges the right. The right judges the left. And the middle, they judge everyone. Because can you see how perfectly centered I am? Like I know that some of you guys politically are way on the right. And some of you guys are way on the left. But you know where I stand? Like see how I'm above you guys? Because I'm centered. I'm a moderate. I'm perfectly centered in all of my thoughts. And so I can hit all of you with a rock from where I stand in the middle, right? I can hit you guys, these guys like, right? This is, this is what we do. You know, the poor judge the rich. So I might look and, you know, I've never been on a cruise. And that's a badge of righteousness for me. Because all of you guys that do cruises, you're like, I, I'm, I can look at, I'm like, I don't have the money to do that. You know why? Because I do mission trips. And so I really am put out when I see other people basking in the sun, on the beach, you know, because, oh, but you know, actually I do go on vacations and I do sit on the beach sometimes, but I mean, I deserve it. Like, I mean, I've worked hard. And so it's, when I do it, like, I'm super good at giving myself grace. Because if I do go on a cruise, and I hope to sometime in my lifetime, I will have a better reason for doing it, right? But then the rich might look at someone like me and say, like, well, dude, if you would have managed your money a little better, you wouldn't have to choose. Right? You could just do a cruise and a mission trip. So, yeah, there's that. If you just would have done the, you know, whatever financial freedom stuff that, you, that I did, and if you would have invested better and not spent money on this or that, you know, right? We can all figure out ways to judge others and talk about it and let people know that we're right. And, you know, people on the left and the right, and I won't even mention any of those things. We don't need to hear that this morning because we know what it is. But I sit on the righteous royal throne of Mark, And feel really good that I'm not like all of them. And I feel the need to tell other people about it. 
Like, you're with me, right? Can we, let's just, we just feel so much better about ourselves. And so much of slander is motivated by self-righteousness, isn't it? And that's the second way we judge the law. Finally, this third point. He says in verse 12, there is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Do you see what James is saying? God determines people's eternal destiny, not you. And so the third way that you're acting as a lawgiver and judge is if you judge people's eternal destiny. So how do we do this? Because they're like, I don't think I do that. Ah, I think you might. (laughs) If you read Romans 14, you'll see there's a lot of disputable matters in the church. In their time, it was like, can you believe this person eats this food? Can you believe this person like works on Saturdays or Sundays? Like, can you believe that that business owner like worked on Sunday? Can you believe, uh, and we do this, right? Like, I can't believe certain people have seen certain movies. And I can feel good about that. And we talked about this in our elder meeting. Like, I can't believe someone would see that movie. And another one said, well, I've seen that movie, but I haven't seen this movie. And it's like, all of a sudden, you can, be, you can get into these disputes about, hey, did you hear like what that person was wearing at that event? Like immodest. And I mean, like, I just would never do that. And, and oh, I can't believe that this person talks like this or drinks this or eats like that. I don't even know if they're a Christian. And God doesn't need your help determining who's going to go to heaven or hell and where people are going to spend eternity. I think that's what James is talking about. Psalm 89 verse 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Faithful love and truth go before you. Isn't that verse a massive relief to you? Like, God is righteous. He's the only one that can truly judge another person. So when we go around slandering, we're judging the law because one, we're disobeying God's law. We're ignoring it. And that way we're standing over it. Or we're taking on the role of God to humble people and knock them down a little bit, to feel better about ourselves. Or We judge people's eternal destiny. That's what it means to judge the law and why slander is so evil. So here's the question. What would it look like if we lived out humility as brothers and sisters in God's family? What would that look like? Ephesians 4.15. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. So here's the point. Here's what it would look like. If we lived out humility, we would speak the truth in love. That is the gold standard of 
what our words and speech should sound like. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow in, into Christ in every way and to him who is the head, that is Christ. Okay, so here's the question. Is James telling us that when we see behavior that is rebellious, evil, that we should ignore it, pretend we don't see it, don't ever talk about it. Is James saying that we should tolerate sin in the body of Christ? Well, James is not saying that. Why? Because if we go back to the royal law in Leviticus 19, what does he say? Judge your neighbor fairly. Don't be partial to the rich or poor. Rebuke your neighbor directly. If we are going to obey James 4, then we have to speak the truth. If we're going to obey the royal law that gives freedom, we have to be truth speakers to one another. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the people of God can be equipped for every good work. So we have to be a people who speak the truth. Now, it says speak the truth in love. Sometimes we think of truth as harsh and hurtful but the truth can be encouraging. In fact, the truth must be encouraging. So here's some good questions to ask before you're going to say something. Is it kind? Is it helpful? Is it necessary? And when you speak the truth, come with encouragement. So say a brother or sister is caught in some sin of addiction, something that they're, uh, yeah, just continue to fail in, and you come to them, and you can say something like this, do you realize who you are in Christ? Like, God loves you. He died on the cross for you, and this is not who you are in Christ. He's got something better for you. Maybe you're going to a friend who's in a toxic relationship. And you're coming to them and you're saying, God loves you. You are the bride of Christ. And God has something so much better for you than this. And he's enough for you. You don't need this person to make you happy. Right? This, this can be encouraging. In fact, just this morning, uh, as I was hanging out there in the lobby, someone comes up and we start talking and he starts sharing his, his God story. He's like, man, I gave my life to Jesus at Salt Company in Ames and then I ended up here at Veritas. And I, by the way, I asked, actually asked him if I could tell this story. He's like, absolutely. He's like, yeah, Moved here with my fiance and we just moved in. We just lived together. And I'm in this small group. I'm in this small group for like two weeks. 
And these guys figure out that I'm living with my fiance, and, and this brother comes to me and is like, hey, I'm not here to judge you. I'm just a brother on the journey with you. And I just want you to see what God's word says about this. And he goes, that changed my life. I moved out, and they said, hey, you can come live with us. So I jumped into their house, and our, you know, people thought they were crazy. Like, what are you doing? And what a beautiful picture. Like, this guy's whole, the trajectory of his whole life and marriage is going to be transformed because of God's word. Some brother had the courage to pull him aside and say, hey, I love you, and I want to show you the path that God has for you. A marriage built on just obedience to God, even if it's hard and convenient and the world is like, what are you doing? That makes no sense. I was uh, in our elder meeting, one of, one of the elders shared, he said, as a people pleaser, I can hide behind James 4 because I don't want to speak the truth. And what I need is the courage. I need James 4 to give me courage to speak the truth. This is not a passage that says never confront brothers and sisters who are in sin. That's not what this is. I had a friend of mine, uh, his name's Kevin, and I still remember where we were. We were hanging out. We just were getting done with a lunch appointment. I was dropping him off at his office on campus in Ames. And I was dropping him off at a stop sign. He's like, hey, Mark, there's one more thing I want to just talk to you about. I've noticed that you say things about your wife that aren't great, aren't encouraging. And I was newly married at the time. And he's like, I think your job as a husband is to prove Protect your wife's dignity. And when you say these things about her, you're like slandering her. You know, the way guys talk or gals talk, you know, when your spouse isn't there. God, can you believe this? they're always doing this? And they're, you know. And he's just like, I think you want to protect her dignity when she's not around. That changed my life. I'm still talking about it 20 years later. Because someone had the courage to come to me in love and to just say, hey, I see this in your life. And I know that's not the kind of man you want to be. So rebuking someone is humbling, isn't it? And what an opportunity it is to examine your own heart. Because when you go to them to talk to them about how they're talking about their spouse, there's a massive <laughs> weight on you saying, how do I speak about my roommates or my spouse or my, you know what I mean? So it's an opportunity to examine our hearts. Like Jesus says in Matthew 7, do not judge or you'll be judged. And then he says, you know, you've got a plank in your eye. Take the plank out, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This passage confronts pride in us. 
And proud people love to criticize, but they hate to speak the truth in love. It takes a lot of humility to not slander people and to speak the truth in love. And I think that brings us to communion. Here's why we do communion at Veritas. Every other week we try to do communion because we don't want you to miss this. The application to this talk, this sermon, James 4, is not, okay, now go and try really hard to not slander. Do better, be better, and try harder. Amen. We'll see you next week. What we do is we let ourselves feel the full weight of God's word And we come to this realization that all of us are proud. All of us have caused division and strife and hurt in the things that we have said about other people behind their backs. And some of it right to their face. Just because you're saying it directly to them doesn't mean it's still, it's not slander. And all of us struggle with pride. And so the application for us is to do what I did at 3.30 on Thursday is to just fall to our knees and say, Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And stop justifying your slander and start repenting of it. And come to Jesus. He is the perfect royal law giver and law obeyer, and Jesus never speaks hurtful things behind your back, but he always comes directly to you in love with the truth. And here's the truth this morning. Jesus Christ is saying to you, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If anyone comes to me, He will live forever. He will have eternal life. And that's the good news for us this morning. So he's coming to you this morning. What is Jesus saying to you? Let's pray. Jesus, this passage has me excited to meet you in person. I can't wait to see you, Lord, to hear your voice with my own ears. I can't wait for that day when my faith is sight, when I will see you, the perfect embodiment of truth and love. God, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins, Lord. And we thank you, God. We are so grieved by our sin, but we are relieved that you cleanse us. You purify our lips, our hearts. Transform us, God, as we come to the communion tables, Lord. Just release bitterness and grudges and hurtful things that we have said. Help us to let those things go 
and change us by your Holy Spirit, by the power of your Spirit that lives in us. Change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you're ready, we invite you to come to the tables. The bread represents the body of Christ broken for you. The cup is the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. We have tables around the room. We invite